It's Cape In Report, and I'm your host, Maureen Aylward. Our topic, opioid use disorder. And here with me as my guests at the table are Damian Archer, the Chief Medical Officer at North Shore Community Health, Tito Rodriguez, Care Advocate and Outreach Specialist of PARI, the Police Assisted Addiction and Recovery Initiative in Gloucester and also nationwide, right? Um, Kara Blake, the Harm Reduction Program Manager at North Shore Health Project. Thank you for joining me here. Thanks for having us. It's great. It's great to have you here on a very, very serious and important topic, not only to our community but our our nation. Our nation too. Um, we're in a serious crisis right now with opioid use, and I wanted to bring you all together because you each um, represent a piece of recovery or a pathway to recovery um, and the services that are offered here in Gloucester. And Damien, I want to start with you because as Chief Medical Officer of the North Shore uh, Community Health that runs Gloucester Family Health Services, which is on Washington Street in Gloucester, um, what could you outline the opioid use disorder for us from a medical standpoint? Could you give us sure. a way to think about it other than just drug use? Yeah, I'd be happy to, Maureen. Um, So I think the best way to think about um, the opioid epidemic and to think about uh, people who live with uh, opioid use disorder is to focus on really what the definition of the disease is. And um, what we say for opioid use disorder is that this is a disease of chronic nature, so it's ongoing. Um, For many people, it can be for a lifetime. Um, that happens with continuous use of the substance of an opioid, whether it be a prescribed uh, medication or heroin or fentanyl or some other type of um, opioid. Mm -hmm. And there must be problematic consequences that happen for at least a year. And those might be? Those could be um, relationship problems that happen because of um, behaviors that interfere with uh, two people because of the substance. It could be um, going to to work under the influence. It could be driving under the influence. It could be engaging in um, illicit um, activities in order to obtain funds to fund um, the the, um, use disorder. So any of those things that happen that an individual will recognize this is not my normal self. Mm -hmm. This is not me at my best. This is not my the behavior that I want to exhibit but I'm doing it because mm-hmm. it's driving the, the ability to use a substance. Mm-hmm. And by cause, calling it opioid use disorder, it, it helps to frame it in a different way, right? Yes. Um, and it, it shows it as a disease and comparable to another other chronic diseases? Comparable to any other chronic um, disease. Uh, you know, the essence of what's happening in the brain is that you're not responding to dopamine which is the, the natural chemical that gives us that motivation to get up and go. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're linking that, that chemical um, in, your, in your brain that you produce naturally to the use of a substance that artificially sort of causes this drive to be moved in a different direction versus doing something like uh, getting your dopamine from exercise or from... Um, you know, achieving something at work that gives you that same stimulation, that same motivation, that same drive. 
-hmm. So what happens when the substance comes in is it disrupts those normal pathways and they become abnormal, but it's, it's physically changed. Your brain is not the same. It's not the same as someone that hasn't been exposed and has developed um, the, the disorder because of continuous use mm -hmm. for more than a year. Mm -hmm. So exposure alone doesn't mean disease. Experimentation alone doesn't mean the disease. Mm -hmm. But when you have it occurring for on and on and on months, maybe more than 12, 12 months, um, the problematic consequences, uh, that's when you're, you're talking about opioid use disorder. Mm -hmm. And, and so, I think, Kara, yeah, please tell us where you're from, the, the oh. North Shore Health Project. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. And, and um, uh, what so you're doing. I work at the North Shore Health Project. Um, we work closely with um, both of your guys' um, agencies. Um, we do a syringe exchange, so access to clean syringes, sterile syringes, and other injection drug supplies. Um, and as well as disposal, we do Narcan training. And our Narcan, there's a lot of Narcan in the community, but our Narcan is specifically targeted for people who are actively using, um, which allows us to have kind of different conversations about other ways to prevent overdose before it happens and also how to respond to it after it happens. Um, and HIV, hep C, and STI testing, as well as um, risk reduction counseling, um, referrals, all kinds of stuff that kind of goes around those concrete services. Um, yeah, and I was just going to say in terms of like referring to it as substance use disorder um, or just something other than kind of addiction, over time we've really thought about, um, we've equated the, the substance use with the behaviors that are uncomfortable for us. So we've equated it with breaking the law and going to jail and having, you know, these blowouts with these family and we've equated it to a lot of these things that are really unpleasant for those of us who are not experiencing yeah. that problematic substance Correct. use um, and I think f framing it in different ways and understanding that like science behind it helps kind of shift um, our kind of attitude toward it towards it too right right, right. Tito no I agree I like uh, I like the way you framed that and, and that's you know that's exactly what it is we associate the behaviors and we label the individual around those behaviors. And, you know, I work for PARI, the Police Assisted Addiction Recovery Initiative, which was started back in 2015 uh, to support the ANGELS program, but also to get other law enforcement agencies to start to consider that they could become a point of access to services for people who are misusing. And uh, in this tiny community of Gloucester, it all started, and right now we have over 435, close to 450 law enforcement partners in Massachusetts and across the United States. Uh, we've distributed over 10,000 doses of Narcan to law enforcement um, co-responders and to the fishing industry. And uh, we've gotten nationally about 18,000 people to a point of services, and that can be wide range, but 18,000 people That's estimated. Incredible. In Gloucester, we've gotten close to 600 people. And, you know, I do a lot of what Kara does, Narcan training, and um, sort of the main referral source, the police, uh, the Gloucester Police Department does a great job at, I don't even have to come in, they can get someone on the point of entry into the police station to the time that they're leaving to go to access a service, 
within 72 minutes, 72 to 75 minutes. Well, you're all touching this issue in a number of different ways, but, you know, what, and, and we hear about overdoses, and, you know, even in our community here, there are overdoses, um, too, too many. Uh, and so nationally, it's a problem, but it's a problem right in our community. I mean, Damien, what are you seeing in the data nationally, and uh, how can you equate it to, to Gloucester? Right. So uh, nationally, as well as locally, uh, the, the, the disease is still not kind of coming back to where we feel it's not epidemic. Um, between 2012 and 2017, there was a 200% increase, even in Gloucester, mm. in the amount of people that died from mm. um, opioid use. And that doesn't get into the, the larger numbers of people who are overdosing, just deaths alone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is this is in many ways um, just as worse than uh, uh, HIV was at its peak. In fact, mm-hmm. if you were to think about an, an equivalent epidemic, think about HIV at its worst and double that number. That's what we did in 2017. That's terrible. It's terrible. And I, I don't really know if people uh, kind of grasp that that number, that sort of impact that's happening. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere and it's all the time. It's mm-hmm. the—it's like watching the news and seeing a jumbo jet crash every single day. That's how many people in the country die from this disease. Every know, day. Every day. That is also, huge. How do we process when, that? When you think about uh, uh, the misuse of substances, now with the introduction of synthetic opiates, Things have really, that really has changed the landscape quite different because you have, I'm not saying this in a manner that sounds like I'm condoning drug use, but you have recreational drug users who might be going to a club on Friday night and decide that they want to take a bump or they want to take a little snort of cocaine and they purchase some cocaine and the cocaine happens to be fentanyl. So maybe I can't tell you how many of overdose calls because part of one of the initiatives we also do in Gloucester is we do post-overdose visits. There are many people, people that, the amount of people that I've gone who have fit that model. They thought they were taking cocaine and all of a sudden there was a EMT putting Narcan up their nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so because it's such an issue, um, and we're dealing with it right here in Gloucester every day. I mean, the jumbo jet analogy is really shocking and um, concerning. And how do we wrap our, our heads around that in order to do something? But it's something it, 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 something has to be done. And I feel like we're doing it here. We There's there's a multi, multiple uh, points of entry of treatment. And we oftentimes think about the treatment being like a detox or you know, some other kind of recovery or methadone mm-hmm. um, treatment. And and so for our viewers, what is available here? So, you know, we, we have a lot of viewers, family members and loved ones who might be struggling with this from a family member and even folks who are struggling with the, uh, the disorder themselves. Mm-hmm. So what's available for treatment and, and from the medical and first, I guess, team? Right. So I can speak for exactly what happens at Gloucester Family Health Center. So within primary care, so 
a primary care provider who has an ACTS license, and we have several of them at the health center, in addition to uh, a dedicated prescriber for Suboxone, you can access um, that care within the walls of a, of a place that provides care regardless of your ability to pay. So um, if you show up and you say, I have you know, uh, an, an issue with opioids, you call us, you um, present yourself, we will link you to services regardless of your ability to pay. Um, and that is very different from um, uh, having to step through a lot of other barriers that may present. And that's for everyone that lives in this community. Um, <clears throat> getting to us, though, I think has been what the barrier has has been uh, because the knowledge that we're there, the knowledge of what we're doing, the understanding that we treat this as a disease um, and that you get stigma-free care at the health center um, from a primary care provider or from a dedicated prescriber may not necessarily rise to the level of consciousness in the community. And we need to sort of get that out there. We have about, you know, 100 or so patients in the program with the capacity to see up to 300. Mm -hmm. So we're, un oh. we're underused. Um, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it has to do with linking all of the services that we provide together and letting people know that this option exists yeah. mm -hmm. amongst all the others that are in the community. Yeah. There's the methadone uh, maintenance treatment um, that's available as well. Um, but this is just one part of that treatment puzzle that's mm -hmm. readily available. Yeah, yeah and, and okay, go ahead. Uh, I mean, there's a litany, I don't wanna plug places, but there's a lit there's medically assisted, there's a clinic, there's a, a pretty effective two week program run by a local hospital here. Uh, <clears throat> there's uh, many faith-based organizations that are committed to uh, sort of hold the banner up for people who are misusing and provide services and resources in the community. Um, and there's 12-step uh, there's programs. There, there's a lot going on in Cape Ann and in Gloucester mm -hmm. to address it. And there's like... We were having a discussion. There's many pathways to getting someone to look at their misuse. And there are many pathways which they can pick to deal with it. And there's no one answer. Because even if you look at traditional medically assisted, they still provide counseling and they still provide a whole lot of other resources. So it's sort of trying to find out what works for the individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Gloucester has a lot going on here. Um, I think they have a lot of what's available is here, you know, what they can do, I think is being done, which is not the case for a lot of communities. Um, you know, I think oftentimes you talk about uh, uh, methadone, which um, can, it are very specific people that can provide that medication. And um, a lot of communities don't have a methadone clinic close by even, let alone in their community that they can, you know, access by public transportation and that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think Gloucester's doing a lot. Gloucester um, has a methadone clinic. Yes. In the, yeah, in the basement of, of the hospital. Of the hospital. Yep. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, also other options, because I think what you were saying about um, letting people know that it's going to be stigma-free care, I think there's been so many people that have been so stigmatized by medical yeah. professionals that it can take a lot to really get through that barrier um, 
and that, you know, places like our program where they can come and, you know, they can come get whatever they need and we're not going to push that conversation about, you know, what their next steps are or what, you know, what. And by whatever what, they like, need, you mean that they can get syringes. They can get syringes. Yeah. They can get a cup of coffee. They can get, you know, a friendly mm-hmm. face and that like mm-hmm. letting people do whatever they need to do. Mm-hmm. Um because we just have the flexibility to be able to say, okay, what do you want to do today? And, you know, you want to work on not going to jail. Cool. Let's talk about that. And how do you do that? You want to talk about, you know, taking better care of your, you know, your track marks or your arms. Like, cool. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about that. And letting people kind of go at that pace and then sort of facilitating some of these like referrals to some of these other places. Cause Mm -hmm. it's really hard for people to get past all of the stigma that they have experienced mm-hmm. or all of the like shame that they're feeling really is is and even stuff. people who've come to me sort of develop stigma about because they figure they're going to come to my office and i'm going to be about you need to stop using mm-hmm. and sometimes after the, the conversation you can tell the person's not ready yet so you know refer them to the family health center or the I know they're going to continue to use, then I want to keep them alive and to use in safety. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell them about Kara's place. Why don't you go over there, mm-hmm. get some clean stuff and continue to, you know, and then we'll have conversations mm-hmm. later down the road or I'll be here for any support and all mm-hmm. that. But I also need to say that the leadership on many levels, the police department, leadership at City Hall, uh, it's a conversation that they're comfortable in having, talking about misuse. So that goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And also, on as I refer, the boots on the ground people, it's a committed group of people in Gloucester who are passionate and committed on this particular issue. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll sometimes argue and stuff, <laughs> but the bottom line is it's trying to help the person who walks through yeah. my door, her door, and it's a really passionate core group of people in Gloucester. Yeah, another thing I just want to mention in terms of like a treatment option, which we don't really think of as like a treatment option, is um, the, avail- the availability of housing first, which is a housing model where people um, who are experiencing homelessness, rather than, you know, kind of the old model, which was you need to get on your psych medications or you need to um, be abstinent from drugs and alcohol or you need to kind of take care of these issues. The idea is putting them in housing first and then working on those issues because it can be really challenging to work on your mental health or your substance use um, while you're worrying about where you're going to sleep at night and you're in survival mode and you've got all this stuff going on. So that's another really good resource. Yeah. Are some of these models built from stigma, I mean, in a way, or because it seems like the old way of addressing some of these of getting clean or getting you know off of, off of what you're using. Mm-hmm. First, in order to qualify, is is indeed a way of looking at it from stigma. Or I'd like to stay with the stigma issue because mm. I think moving people's moving people's um, thinking on this is critical to changing how we're we're talking about mm. it, how we react to it, what we think of others who are going through this. Yeah, I think that's critical, Maureen, and I think you hit the nail on the head of recognizing as a community first we will never bend the curve on this disease until we accept people where they are in their um, disease and that it is a disease that this isn't a a lifestyle choice this is because there's something 
abnormal in the brain that we need to help to support for it to heal. And no matter what type of treatment you choose, you should use something to treat yourself um, toward getting better. Um, and stigma is, for me, the gasoline to this disease. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that prevents people from showing up to the clinic, being afraid of someone knowing that they have the disease. That's killing them, you know? Um, and also the fact that, you know, they may think that the doctor or the provider will sort of um, treat them differently if they relapse. We accept relapse as a part of this disease. You don't need to feel like you're going to be 100% never again um, to get into treatment. Mm -hmm. If you're doing it well, if you're using what we call a harm reduction model toward um, treating people, you meet them where they are, you hold their hand with them, and you get them to the place that they need to be, which hopefully is going to be a life that is more stable, allows them to get back into work, get back into relationships that support them. Mm -hmm. And that's the goal. The goal Mm -hmm. for me has never been drug free. It's Mm -hmm. been functional, alive. Those are the goals that we have as a team, no matter what we're doing for people. We don't want anyone else to die of this disease Mm -hmm. if we can help it. Something the doctor said sort of about relationships, I didn't want to expand on that. I mean, everybody works with people differently, but one of the things that are important for me when I'm consistently working with someone is, is the theme of, theme of connectedness. And because I find, I find personally and what have I observed is the more the individual is connected to something, the more they'll strive not to misuse. I don't know, I don't know how to put a finger on it, but I noticed that, and a lot of what I do is try to establish connectedness to something. Like what, like it's connectedness to a child? Back to or family, connected. back to church, something, right. uh, help, some mm-hmm. wellness uh, yes. trend, and then as they get connected to that, you know, usually something that also involves a social network, because then it's, it just mm-hmm. build on that. And then they sort of establish, for lack of a better phrase, they establish their own recovery network. Mm-hmm. And that's, key. for me, that's key. Yeah, there that's are um, people that are kind of out there, kind of on the cutting edge of addiction theory and substance use theory that say that lack of connection is like the one cause of addiction. I don't know, I don't think anything's the one yeah. cause of addiction, um, but I think that Anyone that yeah. does the kind of work that we do, the kind of low threshold, meeting people where they're at, going out on the street, like that they would say that the biggest service that we provide to people is a connection. You know, we work with a lot of people who have lost connections with their families, lost mm-hmm. connections with their friends, lost connections with service providers, lost connections with everyone, and that that connection starts to kind of facilitate their they're healing more than anything. It just um, strikes me as that we all of us have been through something like that in a way that we seeking that connection or we're seeking that help that that person on the other end of the line or at the counter or or is it someone who can help us with what we need and then plug us in to the information that can bring us to that next level. And I just think that we we need to and also when you're when you're sick or you, you need medical treatment, you do go to the yeah. doctor and the mm-hmm. doctor holds your hand and the doctor yeah. takes you through the treatment process and gets you to the place where you can feel recovery. And it's not unlike 
what's what happens for all of us. I just I want to bring the yeah. the humanity down. Yeah. Right. It's like we're all right. struggling with something mm-hmm. and needing that connection, and how we find it is yeah. is the same for folks who are in recovery. Yeah. And this isn't to say that if you're a person who's got like a family member or a friend or something that is actively using, that can be really challenging. And yes. I always say that yes. my my approach to my work, and then people in my personal life that I'm dealing with that have similar issues, like. Right. I have a completely different <laughs> set of patience and set of compassion. I'm sure you can relate to that. So, like, I think there's stigma across the board that just yeah. gets so in the right. way that, like, it's okay to set boundaries with people and, like, whatever you need to do. Right. That's also, like, we, we're all experiencing a lot of pain from this and that we all need to kind of accept everyone where they're at. Not yeah, just it's the overwhelming and for, yeah. for a lot of folks. It's overwhelming to be going through it and it's overwhelming for the people who are, are struggling to take care of them as well. Mm-hmm. And I think Kara set it up really well in, in terms of, of laying the ground to make sure that you're getting professional help mm-hmm. um, it, when, whenever possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the connection thing, that's the secret sauce to our program. Yeah. We have nurse care managers dedicated to every single patient to give them the appropriate amount of time and to hold their hand and to help them through the system. So that's really, I think, a part of what helps people to get better. Yeah. yeah. What do you think is, um, you know, we're talking about treatment options and we're, we're talking about the reality of, of living it. Um, and uh, I know someone said that we want to turn the, the clients into patients. Tito, was that you? Yeah, or or was that Jamie? Um, and how, how do you, how is that switch done? Like, how do you take folks and, and move them? It's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm asking big you sack. at the end of the show. <laughs> um, I mean, I think a lot of patients and a lot of um, you know. So we are trained in an approach called motivational interviewing. That's helping people kind of think about like what are the things that they want to change. What are the like? There's a lot of ambivalence. I want to use. I don't want to use. Why? Like, what good things are you getting out of your use? Because mm-hmm there are good things that we get out of our use. And I think that's also linked to back to stigma is that we don't want to acknowledge that like people enjoy using substances. We all do, you know, we all like have some kind of, well, not all of us, many of us have some degree of substance use that we enjoy in our daily life. But when it's, um, you know, it's problematic or when it's a substance that they're getting, you know, through illicit means or through the black market, that's when we start to have a lot of stigma of like, well, you're not allowed to enjoy that because, mm-hmm. you know, or certain substances or which demographics are using which substances mm-hmm. um, that there can be a lot of stigma with that. But like there's always going to be pros. And I think that mm-hmm. gets in the way for a lot of people of talking, kind of talking mm-hmm. people through um, getting to a healthier lifestyle is like, what what positive things are you getting out of this? We want to always talk about mm-hmm. the negatives, but I think that's an important and piece. It, yeah. The thing about stigma, particularly in this with this epidemic, is that the profile of the people that are using now has changed dramatically from the profile that we're using decades ago, yeah. what I would consider the first epidemic. And I think the current currently people can effectively advocate for themselves or had loved ones who can do that. You know, back in the seventies when uh, it was in communities of color, poor white communities, people with names like my last name. We didn't have the wherewithal to advocate for ourselves. So the dynamic has changed, you know, and uh, 
And and and, and uh, I think we're fortunate for that because that start that advocacy starts to chunk away at the stigma. Well, thank you all for being on the show talking about this very important issue. Tito Rodriguez from the Pari Project. Kara Blake from North Shore Health Project and Damien Archer at the North Shore Community Health and Gloucester Family Health Center. I hope that we'll have the chance to come back and talk about this again. It's just, um, and, and for viewers, please check with us on social media, connect with us. What do you think? If you uh, want to connect with any of these organizations, please check out their websites. Until the next time on Cape Ann Report, take care.